Hello, family. This is Larry Hogan, your host for the podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? That is the question. The answer, forward. Always forward. Phew! September is over, and what a month it has been. I have been on a roller coaster, up and down, down and up. From personal highs, such as my wife reaching a milestone, her 60th anniversary. Many call this a birthday. I am of the firm belief that you only get one birthday and everything else is an anniversary of that date. I guess by that not logic, it is her 59th anniversary of her first birthday. <laughs> Whatever, I am thrilled that Wanda has officially entered into her sixth decade of life. My observation of September's newsworthy events and they are in no particular order. Millennials are young people. Breonna Taylor, West Coast fires, the first debate, and it didn't involve Joe Biden. The death of Justice Ginsburg and the rush to replace her and the hypocrisy of it all. The taste from Bob Woodward's book, Rage, an article from the Atlantic magazine, coming on the presidents uh, and how he feels about war veterans. Uh, you remember what he said about John McCain. The return of sports in all its glory, the debate, and the latest confirmed cases of COVID-19. So let's talk. This may appear somewhat random as I am going to subtitle my points, my observations by weeks one through four. Now don't hold me to exact weeks, but know that everything I'm talking about did happen in September. Observation for week one. The Young and the Restless. NPR was weekly shout out reporting about top subjects. God had included one that caught my eye. It was involving uh, millennials, GZ, Generation Z, but I'm probably more inclined to call them young people and their ideas of productivity. According to the report, many young people feel that idle time is lost time. They are always have they always have their eyes on the bottom line, making money, which may help explain the rise of the term gig economy. Lyft, Instacart, Uber—you know there is an app that you can that someone can use to have the, to walk their dogs. There's always an app for this or an app for that. Whatever is just another way for one to make your money. Why? I, there was even discussing an app created where the you the user can enlist the services of artists, sports performers, and or influencers' voices for anything from motivation to wishing loved ones birthdays and anniversaries. You want Snoop Dogg to motivate you? Now to use Snoop Dogg voice, it could cost you up to seven hundred dollars. For that privilege. Now the article did not focus so much about Snoop. It was about the nature and entrepreneurial skills of the young people. Always thinking. Always thinking of how to make money. They make little time for such menial tasks as developing relationships and or building something intangible. Like how to talk to one another. Another human. And speaking of apps, 
Can I vent a little about phone tree apps? You know, the kind where Siri asks you a dozen questions and makes 10 choices available and none of the choices have anything to do with your concern. Now, I know it saves money and time. There's no medical benefits, no vacation or sick time for Siri. But sometimes I just want to talk to someone. And then when I'm finally able to reach a human, please listen to me and respond to my question with common sense answers, not textbook responses. Ah, but just in case you thought it was all bad, have you noticed who has been leading the charge for change in this country and arguably the world? The young people. If you look at protesters all across America, the vast majority of them are millennials and young people. Young people are stepping up in masses. There's all the races, all types of races, sexual orientations, economic situations, and their voices are being heard and will make a huge difference. But listen, can I make it personal? Let me make it personal. My son, James Paul, I am so proud of him. The family was talking and there came up the subject of social media and the young people's use and our response to it. One of James' friends was talking about the value of such of a platform called TikTok. It seems the friend had expressed such a high degree of gratitude for the help that platform provided that he said it saved his life and many others. To that declaration, James Paul replied, Oh no, my brother, there is but one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Now, I know this is a podcast, but did you just see movement on your listening device? It was my heart beating and my chest sticking out with pride. Observation of week two. Yet his base remains loyal. There continues the effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. And let's stop calling it Obamacare. It is the Affordable Care Act. And why is that important? Because upwards of 40% of the people didn't know Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are the same. Nor are they aware of the overall effects and or benefits of the Affordable Care Act. The Trump administration is in is gearing up in court right now trying to overturn the Affordable Care Act and have promised to repeal and replace it and as of yet haven't done anything but they're still talking about preserving pre-existing conditions. There was a debate during the second week of September involving President Trump and not Democratic nominee Joe Biden. It was a town hall meeting with citizens. One such exchange that happened during the course of this debate was between a young lady who was diagnosed with scarsocitis. I think I'm saying it right. 
it is considered as a pre-existing condition because she either got it at best birth or early on. Because of the Affordable Care Act, she was able to get treatment and insurances, insurance for her condition. After she hit a certain criteria, she was declared eligible for disability for the remainder of her life. But because of the Affordable Care Act and her ability to get insurance, take her medicines and get treatment, she lived. And boy, how she lived. Upon completion of high school, she was also able to complete three advanced degrees. Her question to the president was, what are your plans for people like me? I worked hard and did everything in my limited power to be a productive citizen. But with pre-existing conditions, my question is what assurances can you give that will keep insurance available for someone such as me? Then she emphasized her status as a minority woman and being neglected and ignored by the insurance companies prior to the Affordable Care Act. Now, the, the crowd, the unique thing about this debate was um, I don't know who or how the audience was selected, but I do know it was not your typical MAGA crowd. As the president responded to this question, he said with his typical bravado, I have a great plan for health care, and we Republicans will always protect pre-existing conditions. He was immediately stopped by the moderator, George Stephanopoulos, who pointed out for the past three years, Mr. President, you have been making that same comments, but with no plan to show for your efforts. Mr. Stephanopoulos then provided three separate occasions with accompanying video where he said the same thing. For me, the point in all this was the pained expression on the president's face as he was unable to wiggle his way out of being held accountable by ordinary citizens, also known as the voters. Yet, his base still remains loyal. This month, there was the story from The Atlantic, uh, a magazine about Trump's attitude with regards to the military. Again, you remember what he said about John McCain. He called them, he called by calling soldiers suckers and those who have been injured or even killed losers. There was one particular story where the emphasis was made about a conversation the president had with retired General John Kelly, who coincidentally became his chief of staff. The article goes like this. They were at Arlington National Cemetery, sacred ground, sacred ground for military families. As General Kelly stood over his son's grave, President Trump reportedly commented to General Kelly in all sincerity. I don't get it. What's in it for them? It is obscene that anyone who is in public office let alone anyone who holds the highest office in the land would ask such a question. And yet, his base remains loyal. 
Then there was the book Rage, which provided audio tapes from the interview with his voice, that's President Trump, responding to such topics as the dangers of COVID-19, whether you agree or not, there was topic uh, about white privilege, and he was asked, President Trump was asked to give an opinion on, give his opinion on which is more important, the effect on the economy or the effect on humanity. So I'm gonna focus on white privilege. Mr. Woodward, he compared his upbringing and Trump's privileged life. Mr. Woodward was the son of a judge and lawyer. And most folks know the president's biography. Mr. Woodward asked in sincerity, can you understand Mr. President, how people of color and especially men could have a different opinion about opportunities and advantages that were afforded to guys like you and me and not them. The president's response, he said, man, have you been drinking the Kool-Aid? He felt he had no need to feel blessed. He showed no empathy or understanding. It was as if it was his destiny. It was hard work and talent that got him the life he enjoys now. Yet, his base remains loyal. Regarding the simple task of supporting the wearing of masks, where thousands gather at your rallies with no mask. Remember earlier in the year, in the month, when he was talking about the death rate, and with a straight face, he made a comment about how much different the death rate would be if the blue states would be removed. This from the President of the United States. It seems the 2020 slogan ought to be Make America Sick Again. The rallies without masks, even though every scientist and health professional said if we consistently just would wear a mask, you could reduce the death rate nearly in half. Observations of week three. Character and integrity should count for something. What's more important? It is frustrating and feels a little defeating to hear the Democrats complain to and about the current administration. In every instance, one party, and I will say it, the Republican Party, plays to win. They are not so concerned about the looks, perceptions, and public opinions. Their only concern is using raw power and winning. Right now, they have it, and they are going to use it to get and reach an objective and conclusion. It pains me to see the Democrats respond with strong words and advocacy, but little results. It pains me. I'm not saying that it, it, it's not useful and it's not understandable, but it pains me. When I saw the top two senators come out with a sixth grade bulletin board, like 
about what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said four years ago and what Senator Lindsey Graham said as if suddenly they would recant and concede that their words, character, and integrity mean something. They only care about results. Come hell or high water, win or lose the election, the Mitch McConnell-led Senate is going to get nominee Amy Coney Barrett confirmed. At least they are going to try. You can go back and check the tape. Not just what Graham said about a Supreme Court nominee, but his comments about the kook, the liar, the racist bigot, and that was about then-candidate Trump. The same is applicable to Senators Romney, Rubio, Cruz, and others. They were right then, they are right now, but they haven't the guts to say it. And then, for all those books, all these books that keep coming out after leaving office, with these confessions of ineptitude, lies, cover-ups, and other possibly criminal acts, there is a new book coming out that claims the Trump Organization stands to make close to $2 billion from his first term. The FBI, CDC, DOD, DOJ, NSA, and USPS have all yielded to Mr. Trump and his breaking down of the norms and traditions that were supposed to set America apart from the rest of the world. We always assumed these institutions would hold up. There is not universal agreement as to how these institutions distribute justice fairly and equally, but there can be no mistaking that these institutions by and large have been successful. But this month, all of these positions and questions are in doubt. From the continued handling of COVID-19 to the failed and surprisingly scant details into the Russian collusion investigation of the useful idiot by the DOJ, DOJ, and the FBI. If nothing else, this month has revealed how lives and reputations have been ruined and ignorance is running rapid. R.O.B.G. I am not sure if the country realizes the significance of Justice Ginsburg. That being Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious R.O.B.G. Her contributions to the betterment of society, all of society, but especially minorities and women should not be overlooked. It has been said, to use a sports analogy, her contributions to women equality made her a Hall of Fame lawyer without ever becoming a judge, let alone a Supreme Court justice. And one of the things that I learned in her death was her relationship with one of her colleagues, the late Justin, Justice Anton Scalia. Legally, their opinions and their positions are totally opposites. 
But, and more importantly, the delicate balance of agreeing to disagree with humanity was on display for all the world to see. They welcomed debate and differences without being mean-spirited. In an opinion piece by Eugene Scalia, the son of the late justice, he wrote this. The two justices had central roles in addressing some of the most divisive issues of the day, including cases on abortion, same-sex marriages, and who would be president. Not for a moment did one think the other should be condemned or ostracized. More than that, they believed that what they were doing, arriving at their own opinions thoughtfully and advancing them vigorously was essential to the national good. With less debate, their friendship would have been diminished and so they believe with our democracy. That's from the son, Eugene Scalia. And tell me, can anyone honestly say the prestige of America's democracy has not been diminished? Observations of week four. How long will the base remain loyal? As September comes to a close, let's reflect on what has happened. Every day, I try and believe in faith, destiny, and the best of people. But more and more, I am resigned to think faith and destiny may have different endings for different reasons and people who arguably may not be our better angels. I have to come back and fight the question of who am I that I should determine what people think and how anyone should think and why anyone should think the same as I do. My goodness, it is so hard to accept that premise. I may have to come to terms. There is nothing wrong with people who think the current situation of the country is perfectly fine and needs no major overhaul. Now to me, that calls for spirituality and priority. COVID-19, it reminds me a lot of spirituality. Your spirit cannot be seen, but the results can be felt. Over 200,000 lives have been lost. Over 7 million confirmed cases. And yet, there is no national sense of urgency from the supposed leader of the country. Whose obligation is to the American people, not a political party. So what does that mean, you may say? Have you noticed the priorities of the nation's lawmakers, selective financial obligations, hmm. the possibility of millions of citizens that have lost their jobs, and with that, many have lost their health insurance, the possibility of losing one's home or being unable to pay rent. But our nation's leaders found the money 
to pay for big businesses to be made whole with billions of dollars going to companies that only a couple of months ago, a couple of years, as maybe as far back as a couple of years ago, was recording record profits. The military and the need to increase the budget by billions of dollars. No problem. Any bill passes. Always seems to be profits over people, things, buildings, and the economy over the coronavirus COVID-19. Short-term short -term gain for possible long-term losses. My wife suggested at the beginning of the pandemic, she suggested, why not shut down the country in its entirety for six months to a year? Provide the enhanced unemployment benefits because most employers ask the employees to leave. They should provide the enhanced employment benefits while working feverishly on the issues at hand. Issues including how to safely return back to work for schools, how the schools should reopen, ensuring communities have adequate resources to learn at home, as well as teachers being equipped and trained to teach at home. Now I say, what about the help for essential workers, who by the way are essential in name only, as there is no effort to up their pay, especially as in combat pay sort of, when your life is at risk just by doing the essential work, there should be extra compensation, including guaranteed health coverage and at minimal, at least, life insurance. How is it that when times are good and the multi-billion dollar corporations are paying no taxes, but when times get hard, these same big businesses rely on the taxpayers to bail them out. And it happens. It happens on both, well, under both parties. But at least with the last major bailout in 2008, one of the chief beneficiaries was General Motors. They not only paid back the loan, but they paid it back with interest and those actions saved an entire industry. Hmm. What about the student athletes? Now, are they worth being paid? Are they worth paying? Yes, they get their education paid for. But their talent brings in billions, billions of dollars of revenue for the NCAA. Was the general student population... The math major, the engineering student, the business student, the arts or political science major. Were they asked to sign a waiver not to sue? Were they able to have virtual teaching and not required to be on campus? Well, you can't have virtual basketball practice while you're shooting baskets. You can't have virtual blocking and tackling for the football team. You have to be there in person and you put your life at risk. So that the uh, uh, NCAA can continue to make billions of dollars off your talents. And that includes the professional athletes as well. 
as we are speaking now, as this month coming to a close, the NBA is playing for the championship. The WNBA has crowned their champion, and they're playing their games right here in Central Florida. The NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, all of them are playing right now their season. Now, those employees, they're highly paid, but employees nevertheless, do you think they should be called essential? They get tested every day. They have the best medical treatment available and no expenses are spared. I enjoy sports and I know how comforting that can be and relaxing to take your mind off of it. But man, it just seems to be misplaced priorities. Don't get me wrong. I am not complaining about the saying of uh, to the victor goes the spoils, but somewhere along the line, character, integrity, and honesty has to account for something. We can't continue to proclaim loudly how we are a nation of laws and rules. We can't continue to profess the constitution is what sets us apart from every other nation on earth. But when things are so decidedly different in response and actions, not just in the last three years, but possibly for the last 300 years, there should be no doubt there's two sides to every situation. There are two Americas, one for the minorities and one for the majority in this country. Check, for instance, the original inhabitants of the land, the Native Americans, they were here first. The purpose of this great experiment called democracy was to get away from tyranny and autocratic rule. And the first thing you do was to take away and decimate an entire race of people from their land. After that, the great America went another step and took people from other lands across the oceans to make them free laborers, all the while giving an insurmountable edge in life that has lasted for over 400 years and still count. While writing the instrument and proclaiming, all men are created equal with liberty and justice for all. Well, tell that to the families of Ahmad Arbery, Rashard Brooks, Philando Castile, Stefan Clark, Jordan Davis, George Floyd, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Daniel Prude, uh, Bolton Jean, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Alton Sterling, just to name a few. They are still seeking justice. And the surviving family members... They have to become, they have become reluctant activists, forced to become instant experts in public relations and advocacies, while also becoming part of a long history in which black America, their trauma has been inextricably enlarged with political movements. I want to close with articles and commentary that I heard, that I read from the New York Times and saw on the news show review on Showtime, it was called, it's called Axios, and others 
about what systematic racism and income inequality has cost America. $16 trillion and counting. It has cost America in policies that prevented minorities from buying houses, getting jobs, education, and opportunities. On the show Axios, the question was asked about reparations. The response was, there's not enough money to pay indiv individual families and such. But the cost in terms of policy decisions is incalculable. Anybody remember that, for instance, does anybody remember the term redlining? It's defined as the systematic denial of various services by federal government agencies, including local governments, as well as the private sector for discriminatory practices, which include mortgages, insurance, and financing. The banks refuse to loan someone money because they live in an area deemed to, to be a poor financial risk profits over people. And most economists agree that home ownership is the key to building wealth, developing communities, businesses, access, and opportunities. Now, if you deny an entire generation of those services, why would you wonder if the wealth gap is so damn big? As I close, finally, a friend, he shared with me, he gave me some great advice on parenting, the ups and downs of sharing and giving love to his children. He said this to his children. When you become a parent, something takes hold of you and you just can't help yourself. You worry. You worry about every possible scenario in your child's life. You truly try and convince them that no matter what they say or who they hang out with, nobody will love them as much as you do. You're telling this to your children. Then you realize there will be times when they, the child, they are going to listen to their friends and question your senses. They may even choose sides and not agree with or side with you, the parent. But your job as a parent is still to convince them that child nobody loves or cares for you more than mommy and daddy. And then if you are consistent and if you do that consistently, slowly but surely, that child will begin to believe you and believe in you. If you think of America as the parents and us as the children, it is with that analogy, Doc Rivers, why we continue to love this country even though it seems to refuse to love us back. A September to remember. This has been your host, Larry Hogan. This is the podcast. Where do we go from here?